Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And as we pass out the pew Bibles, we've got blue Bibles for you around you. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And as you find your way to it, I'll share with you an interesting article from this past week that you may have seen in the news. It was an Associated Press article. It was first posted on Yahoo News, not Yahweh News, with the intriguing headline, Letters to God Wash Ashore in New Jersey. Now, I know a few of you saw this recent event. It was actually reported just this past Thursday, and several of you emailed me about it. We're in part two of our current series on prayer, which we're calling Vertical, Communicating with God. And this news report just kind of captures the questions and nagging doubts many of us have when it comes to prayer. Letters to God end up in ocean unread. You can't make this stuff up. This was in New Jersey. Uh, Dateline November 2nd, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Some of the letters are comical. A man asking God to let him win the lottery twice. Others are heartbreaking. A distraught teen asking forgiveness for an abortion. An unwed mother pleading with God to make the baby's father marry her. The letters, about 300 in all, sent to a New Jersey minister, ended up dumped in the ocean, most of them unopened. The minister died two years ago at 79. How the letters, some dating back to 1973, wound up bobbing in the surf is a mystery. Here's a quote. There are hundreds of lives here, a lot of struggle, washed up on the beach, said Bill Lacovera, an insurance adjuster who was fishing last month with his son, When he spotted a flowered plastic shopping bag and he waited out to retrieve it, this is just a hint of what really happens. How many letters like this all over the world aren't being opened or answered? Apparently, many of the letters were addressed to a Reverend Grady Cooper, although many of them just said simply ALTAR, A-L-T-A-R. And according to the text of several of them, they were intended to be placed on a church's altar and prayed over by a minister or the congregation of a local church in Jersey City. And as you can see from the picture up here on the screen, some were, you know, neatly written in script on white lined paper, others kind of in a feverish scrawl on tattered scraps of parchment and note cards. But when the fishermen pulled these out of the ocean last week, most of them were crinkled from being in the water. But the guy and his son, you can see him right there, dried them out and opened them up. And the minister who they were addressed to, like I said, died nearly two years ago, according to church records. And the guy who found them speculated that someone who's probably cleaning out the minister's home found these letters and threw them on the beach in Atlantic City, which is about 100 miles from Jersey City. He said, quote, I I guess rather than just throw them in the garbage, maybe they thought they'd set them out to sea to bless these people. So they made a trip to Atlantic City, maybe went to a casino, and put the letters in the water. That about sums up New Jersey theology, right? (laughs) Say a prayer, roll the dice. The first few letters he opened with his son, Rocky, were kind of humorous. One man wrote, I'm still praying to hit the lottery twice. First the 50,000, then after some changes have taken place, let me hit the millionaire. (laughs) Another letter asked God to make a certain someone, quote, leave me alone and stay off my back. While another letter asked God to calm a woman who, quote, called the IRS on me. (laughs) The prayer requests apparently were very intimate and varied. One woman complained that her husband always talks about sex. And another writer anonymously dropped a dime, you know, to God on someone cheating on his wife, complete with dates, times, and locations. But, yeah, but those officials found were actually the exception. Because many more of the letters were written by anguished spouses, children, or widows, just kind of pouring out their hearts to God. Asking for help with relatives who were, you know, using drugs, gambling, or cheating on them. One man actually wrote from a prison, saying he was innocent. 
and want to go back home to be with his family. A woman wrote that her boyfriend was now closing the door to her daughter's bedroom each night when it used to stay open, and she wondered why. One of the notes was from a teenager who poured out her heart on a yellow line paper, you know, in the curly Q pencil handwriting of a schoolgirl, begging God to forgive her and asking for a second chance. She wrote this. She said, Lord, I know that I've had an abortion and I killed one of your angels, and there is not a day that goes by that I don't think about the mistake I made. One unwed mother wrote that her baby was due in four weeks, and she asked God to make the father fall in love with her and marry her so that the child would actually have a father growing up. What a picture of the conundrum of prayer. (laughs) I mean, does God hear such prayers? Does he respond to those requests? Or are they just an expression of our deepest hopes that, you know, in the end, actually have a pretty good chance of getting kind of bounced back, (laughs) returned to sender? Or simply going unanswered, you know, kind of drifting out to sea like a lost message in a bottle. When I first read this article, I took some solace in the fact that at least this fisherman guy and his son, Rocky, read them. But then the article concludes with this tale. It says, the fisherman who found them said he's sad that most of the writers never had their prayers read. But he hopes to change that soon. He's putting the collection up for sale on eBay. (laughs) Now you know we're in New Jersey, right? (laughs) Doubt that God hears. Or that he's actually moved to respond when we, when we send him our requests is natural for most of us. I mean, even the most devout believers sometimes wonder wonders whether prayer makes any difference at all. And I think this is honestly why Jesus took the time to respond specifically to his disciples' request to teach them about prayer. In Luke 11, which you have now hopefully in front of you on your lap, we're told, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Which, if you stop there, is pretty revealing. I mean, we usually kind of skip over that and like, let's get right to it. But you normally, think about this, you normally think of the disciples. These, these are the 12 apprentices of Jesus as spiritual superstars. But they weren't, were they? <laughs> There's actually only one reason they would have asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They didn't know how. Or, or more likely, they weren't good at it. <laughs> They were Jewish men, after all, and that means they had actually memorized prayers from birth. And as Orthodox Jewish men would have been reciting prayers daily, as all good Jewish boys did. So they were certainly familiar with prayer as a concept, but they clearly had some difficulty with it. I mean, praying, really praying or communicating with God in a back-and-forth conversation could be the hardest work I do all week as a pastor. And I suspect there are times when you probably feel the same way. Remember, the disciples are the guys who lived and walked and ate with Jesus, and they even shared many of the same frustrations and doubts that maybe you or I have about prayer. But they noticed something different in Jesus. They're like, Jesus, we pray all the time, but we see something different about the way you pray. You you go off by yourself sometimes, like like all night, and like you don't come back. And it's like you're out there for hours, and and we're kind of just like, what's he doing out there? (laughs) I mean, how long can you talk to God? (laughs) You know, we pray and you let them know and, and we're done. But obviously, you know something about communicating with God that we don't know. Would you, would you teach us to pray? And what's amazing is Jesus doesn't respond, oh, no, 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 you don't need to be taught. Prayer's simple. Just talk to God. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you heard that? Prayer's simple. It's not. <laughs> Instead, Jesus actually takes them up on their offer and gives them specific instruction or guidance. And this is what he says. Let's read the remainder of this passage together straight through. Verses 2 through 13. He said to them, okay. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
and lead us not into temptation. Then he said this to them. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, stop there, because this is an amazing passage. It's actually Jesus' longest extended discourse on what prayer is all about. And essentially, using a story... A saying, an analogy, Jesus focuses on three main aspects of prayer. It's content, that's verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. Our persistence and God's response. And if you look first at its content, Jesus basically sums it up in two verses. We all know what verses 2 through 4 is commonly referred to as the Lord's what? Prayer. And in this abbreviated version which Jesus shares with his disciples, he begins where we left off last week, right? When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And the word Jesus uses here for Father is, you remember it? What? Abba, which means Daddy. The first thing Jesus tells his first century followers and his 21st century disciples as well is that prayer is about a relationship, but not just any relationship. A familiar and tender and intimate one. A connection between an all-powerful, loving Father and his all-needy, dependent children. I showed you this picture last week to highlight the contrast, right? President John F. Kennedy playing with his children on the carpeted floor of the Oval Office. And those pictures are memorable and touching images for one reason. You see power and tenderness colliding. I mean, JFK is in two roles here. On the one hand, he is the President of the United States, grappling at the time with the incredible intricacies of being leader of the free world. (laughs) He had the responsibility for making global decisions of tremendous gravity. Remember Bay of Pigs, anyone? (laughs) And he led, held that power, literally the power of life and death for many in his hands. And only the privileged elite of the world leaders had access to him. When you're leader of the free world, you don't return every call or letter that you get. (laughs) But he wasn't Mr. President to a couple of people. To John Jr. and his little girl, Carolyn, who you see dancing here at his feet. Those little kids knew him by another name, not Mr. President, but by Daddy. And they were free to barge into his office, the Oval Office, at any moment to spend time in his presence. And so it is with God and us. Jesus came making this unprecedented claim that now that he had come to die and be raised to life again for all of humanity, that through simple trust in him, we could reestablish connection with our Heavenly Father and be adopted into His personal family by simply inviting Jesus to forgive our sins and now live in our hearts. We're literally born again, becoming children of God. And with that incredible change in identity, we're free now to relate to God in a whole new way. 
It's kind of strange. On the one hand, think about this now. On the one hand, our Father is this holy, awesome, almighty, sovereign of the universe. Not just its leader, but its creator. (laughs) Yeah, I did that. (laughs) But on the other hand, he's also our daddy, who delights in us when we barge into his presence to spend time with him. So that's why Jesus says, begin your prayers this way. Abba, Daddy, hallowed be your name. (laughs) Hallowed, that's a fancy word just simply for honored. (laughs) We are to honor God, to offer him our respect as our creator, and yes, almighty Lord of the universe, but also to relate to him as our Papa. Honor, and yet, intimacy. And this is how we establish connection. By by noting that that we we establish a relationship of respect and love, and that's actually another word for worship. (laughs) Prayer begins with praise for God, for who he is. Oh my gosh, he's the Lord of the universe. And what he's done, he adopted me into his personal family. So after establishing that connection, then Jesus says, you're free now to bring to him, just like your father, any request you want. Request number one, your kingdom come. Now if you look at the footnote in your Bible, you're kind of like, your kingdom come. It doesn't say your will be done. Is this like a discount version of the Bible? Where, where is that thing? Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you wonder if the disciples said, like, uh, Jesus, we, we heard this before, your will be done. You know, I, I, do, Jesus, you, you got the Lord's prayer wrong, you know. No, no, not at all. This is probably a second time that he was expanding on something he had already taught them. We saw the ex- longer version in Matthew. But when he says this, he says, in other words, the first thing we want you to, I want you to say to your father is this. Dad, I want things down here to be the way they are up there. I want your will in my life on this earth to take first precedent. Would you make things in the world around me the way, this is going to be hard, actually not the way that I desire them to be, but the way you want them to be, which is a pretty selfless request, not something most kids say. It's pretty mature. I mean, it's actually saying to our father, you know best. You have the best plans in mind for me and my life, and I submit and surrender to whatever it is you want to do. I mean, there is some self-differentiation here. I realize that my agenda might actually not be the same as what you want accomplished. (laughs) And if that's the case, I'm not going to be a petulant child, but I'm going to say, Father knows best. So, so Daddy, do as you please, not as I want. And that's a tough prayer (laughs) to mean. (laughs) You pray that your whole life. I got kind of stuck there. I have a feeling when I'm going to be 75, that's still I'm going to be tripping up on that one. There is real grit there. A lot of trust, isn't there? Especially when you realize who was teaching it here. Jesus, the son of God. Who in just a short time from this chapter. Would pray those exact words in a garden. Facing the specter of being crucified on the cross. And actually giving up his life. For people he hadn't even met yet. And we know. Jesus prayed in that garden. He said, Father, if there's another way to do this, to to expand our family and make a way for men and women to reconnect with you, please show me. Let this cup cup pass from me. I don't want to be crucified on a cross yet. Not my will. But yours be done. I mean, talk about putting trust in a relationship. That though it would mean he'd literally give up his life and experience unimaginable suffering, Jesus, the son of the father, was willing to do it because he wanted to please his father beyond anything else capture this. More than that, he trusted him to work good in his life, even out of the evil that was about to damage it. So I don't want to get all intimidating here, but that's the framework of prayer. It's basically saying, Dad, 
I trust you with my life. It's yours to control and direct. And I place your desires above my own. That is love, folks. Okay, that's love. That is back and forth love. A God who's willing to sacrifice his life for his kids, but then his children who are willing to give up theirs in return. And that is hard in real life, isn't it? But a reality of our connection with God. He may actually ask us to sacrifice our desire to follow his own. Would you be willing to trust God even if it meant taking a hit financially, for instance, to follow him? <laughs> I think of this because I was talking with a friend this past week who's actually making a career shift. He is leaving a lucrative job in the private sector to follow God into full-time ministry. That's where he's feeling called, and that's scary to begin with because they're offering him a promotion at his job. He's really good at it, <laughs> and he's making some decent cash at it, and he's been doing it for more than 10 years. <laughs> And the idea of actually stepping away from this thing, from the money, from the comfortability of what I know and what I do, and it's going to cost him substantially. Not just money, but even in terms of lifestyle. You don't get rich in ministry. Yet, he's walking away from it all. Why? Why would someone be willing to do that? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will but yours be done on this earth. Dad, I want your deal over my deal. That's what it's about, folks. God first shows us his love and sacrifice. He says, that's how much I love you. And we respond to our Father out of gratitude and trust. And this is where faith begins. So once that primacy is established of placing God's deal above our own deal, Jesus says we're free then to make all kinds of petition and requests from our loving Abba. And some of them are external and basic, like verse 3, give us each day our our daily bread. I'm hungry. (laughs) I need something to eat. And some are internal and unseen and more complex. Also, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. (laughs) A couple observations here. One about the food, one about the forgiveness. (laughs) First notice with the bread, God invites us to be specific with our request and to do it daily. If you spend any time listening to the way people pray, um, I'm always amazed. I mean, how crazy, vague, and generalized in, in my prayers get. It's like I go morph into this weirdo language, you know, when people talk with God, which simply means they're not really comfortable with Abba. <laughs> they don't know him as Daddy. Because when you use vague and lofty language, we think we're going to, like, impress that. You ever pray like this on behalf of someone? Um, I remember someone was telling me the other day, they were, you know, going through something, and I was like, uh, um, oh, Lord, would you please be with my friends, Mike and Kimberly, in a special way, Lord? What exactly is a special way? <laughs> I'm guessing God is as confused as you are. I mean, what do you, what do you really want to ask your father for? Be particular in your request. I want you to imagine, I mean, Colleen and I, we got little kids. And, um, and when we have a new babysitter come in, do I tell that new babysitter, do I say, hey, Katie, um, I hope tonight you'll be with my children now in a special way. <laughs> no, you'd say, no, no, the children need um, dinner first, and then they need a bath. He needs it twice. And, uh, and a Bible story before bedtime, and they're tired from a long day, so make sure they're settled in bed by 8.45, no later. You're very specific with your requests. <laughs> It should be the same way in prayer, Jesus tells us. If you need bread, ask for it. If you need a spouse, don't be shy. Your father is interested in both your stomach and your heart. If you need healing, be bold. Say it. Tell him. And I know this raises a question like, well, what, if, what if he doesn't answer me? And we'll, we'll get to that in, in due time. Jesus brings that right up. But for starters, ask God for what you need and pray 
particularly. <laughs> Notice Jesus says, give us each day our daily bread. That is, your father's provision actually is not all at once. It's daily. You don't like store it up and then cut off communication with him. Maybe you did that in college, right? Dad, can you loan me five bucks? Thanks, man. High five. Okay, I'll see him in like two weeks when it's out. <laughs> or 20 bucks. I know, five bucks. Like, what are you going to get with five bucks? <laughs> Until when I've been in college. <laughs> But then when I run out of cash, then I run back to dad. That's actually not a relationship. That's called an ATM, isn't it? <laughs> so you dare not be self-satisfied. If you're running low on strength, you've got to ask yourself, how long have I been away from the source? Material needs, Jesus says, are totally legitimate to bring before God. Do it every day, and don't forget to thank God as he provides. As any daddy does, Abba loves to be thanked. But inner spiritual needs are just as important, according to verse 4, right? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he made forgiveness, and this is the one that's disturbing to me, the cornerstone of their relationship with God. It's the only one that's kind of conditional. Jesus is like, don't forget in the middle of your prayer. I know your mind drifts, you're kind of ADD, but don't forget where this thing started, right? How did you get connection? Back to the cross. God has forgiven us our sins through the sacrifice of our son, so that we must now forgive those who have wronged me and you. Ping, pong. Prayer is a two-way dialogue, and a relationship is a two-way street. And this is a critical issue that Jesus positions at the center of prayer here. Are, are you, are, let me ask you real candidly, are you carrying around a grudge? Has someone hurt you? Anyone got some grudge? You know, you know the movie you've seen, maybe you saw Grudge too. The Grudge. Something you've been carrying around. To remain unforgiving, Jesus is saying, demonstrates that you actually have not understood how deeply you are in need of being forgiven. And this is a central place where static enters the line, Jesus says. It's getting fuzzy. When you pray, think of the people who have wronged you. Have you forgiven them? Have you asked, asked Abba to help you release your anger, your, your re- resolve your desire for vengeance? In a mysterious way, Jesus teaches, our connection to daddy's ear is dependent on our heart towards other people. And that's sobering, especially for like married couples. <laughs> Any spouses with strained feelings here tonight? I, it's amazing, but I'm like cross-referencing this stuff. And 1 Peter 3, 7 actually instructs husbands to respect and honor their wives so that, quote, nothing will hinder your prayers. What? Wait, the way I treat my wife actually could cause static with God? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it could bounce off the ceiling. Why? Because you haven't been respectful of God? No, you haven't been respectful of your wife. Whoa. (laughs) There is more here to prayer than meets the eye, isn't there? Yes, indeed. Look at Jesus' closing request for guidance and protection. And lead us not into temptation. And you'll notice your footnote says, and some manuscripts add, but deliver us from the evil one. Simple but profound confession That we need God big time more than we know every day. That this world is rigged and you are a stone's throw away from destruction, from falling into sin and ruin. And there there actually is an enemy of Abba out there. Just as JFK had Castro, as Abba's precious sons and daughters, we're marked people, we're targets. How do you wound the heart of a father the most? You go after his children. So what you've got here, folks, is really a profound declaration of dependency. And I know we're not all comfortable with that. I mean, 
almost from birth, you're like, well, wait, get, get to like the request, like how God comes through and starts answering these things one after another. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Think toddler. I mean, almost from birth, we aspire to self-reliance. I mean, to keep this in the father-child framework, personally, I like celebrate. I like jump for joy whenever one of my kids learns to do one little thing on their own, no matter how minute. He went potty. Oh, my gosh. We actually got a potty trophy for my little girl. I've got this little, I should have, I should have, I'll get it between services. I got a picture. She's like, ding. It's like a potty trophy, right? Get dressed, brush teeth, tie shoelaces, ride a bike. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. When your little boy or girl insists, no, I do it myself. You like, you're like, okay, you're a little rude, but I'm taking some pride in this. Because you're becoming independent. And that is healthy, and that is normal, the goal of any human parent. But with God, the rules change. As Philip Yancey notes, I never outgrow dependence And to the extent I think I do, I delude myself. Asking for help lies at the root of prayer. The Lord's Prayer itself consists of a string of such requests. Prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. And this is amazing. And this is one of the reasons why prayer is so hard, by the way. Because from little on, we're taught independence is the whole point. I mean, our country, think country, our national sense of self is founded on a document called the Declaration of Independence. The idea that we can do it ourselves. You can do it. No, you can't. Your relationship with God, your personal sense of self, your true self, your spiritual self, is to be founded daily on the declaration of dependence. And the name for that, the shorthand, is prayer. Which is a confession that I actually can't do life on my own. (laughs) That I need my Father's provision, care, and guidance on an ongoing basis. Not just Jesus one time, a long time ago, but every day. And if I let go of Abba's hand, I'm not going to make it today. Think about this. You believe that? Believe it up here, or do you believe it here? You practice it. Bill Hybels tells the story of how he begins every day with an acrobat routine. Check this out. Every morning that he gets up, when his alarm clock goes up, check this out, he lifts himself out of bed so that his knees, not his, see, I can't even do it. I don't have the forearm strength. So that his knees, not his feet, are the first thing to touch the floor. Every morning for the past 10 years, he's done this. A morning ritual of his. Several years ago, he'd been getting out of bed literally on his knees to start the day with prayer. I mean, can you imagine doing this, okay? Try this at home. Don't try this here. Do try this at home. It requires considerable arm and muscle strength, which I don't think I got. Try it tomorrow. Get out of bed on your knees, not your feet. Now, why does he do this? And you're kind of like, what? This is kind of weird. Some of you may be familiar with Bill Hybels. You know who he is? He's a lead pastor at Willow Creek Church out in Illinois. Just an incredible church. Over like 20,000 people just making this huge impact for God in the Midwest. And actually across the globe. And a lot of that is due to the incredible leadership gifts of Hybels. If you've ever seen him, he is charismatic. He is like a take-the-hill kind of leader. Inspiring, but also a little intimidating. (laughs) If you've ever heard him speak. Yet in an interview, he confessed this. He said, it takes a little finagling to get my hips and legs to swing just right so that my knees come down before my feet. But it's a necessary exercise to counteract my type A tendencies. Any type A's here? If I get out of bed and my feet hit the floor first, then I am off to the races with my own program. For me to stay on God's program, I have to start early surrender early, and make an early request of him to be used that day. 
Not to use him, but him to use me. I tell him I desire his guidance and ask him to open spiritual doors throughout my day. Any, any A-type driven personalities here tonight in the crowd, okay? Yeah, I can identify with that too. This is where the battle is going to be for us. For a go-getter type A driven person like me, prayer is difficult because it flies in the face of my frantic efforts to jump out of bed and prove I can do this. Self-sufficient, independent, strong, good hair. No. <laughs> with prayer... Why, why, why don't you like to pray? Well, here's one of the reasons. Because you're saying, I'm spiritually impotent. Without inviting God into my day, any day, no matter how successful it is by worldly standards, is actually, in God's economy, a wasted day. How many wasted days did you have this week that actually counted for nothing in God's eyes? Could you admit that? Make that declaration of dependence. Jesus says, this is at the heart of prayer. At the core of your relationship with Abba, and you are never, ever to outgrow it. Last week, I asked you to evaluate your prayer life. Kind of rate your calling plan with God. Remember that? How's your, how's your current connection? I, we went from zero, you know, never prayed before in my life. Had someone email me this week and said, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't want to like, be like, totally embarrassed, but that's me. I've never prayed before. It was weird to hear you guys pray, but this is interesting. Um, maybe you pray in your spare times. So you're an out-of-area caller, like... Sometimes it kind of comes in, sometimes out. That's clear and static signal. Um, or maybe reliable roaming. You call on God regularly throughout my day. Think about this last week. And you know what? A couple times I saw God show up. That was nice. I, he, really, he really came through there. Or, you know, you're a 10, secure line. You got a hotline to heaven. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> you're also delusional. But, okay, that's, that's a bit apart from it. The challenge that I laid before all of us this fall was to do one simple thing. Could you grow one click up, one click forward this fall? And this week, I'm going to ask you to begin very simply by reciting your own declaration of dependence each morning, beginning tomorrow, Monday, all the way through Friday. I'm going to give you Saturday off. But the idea is to commit yourself I'm going to jumpstart my prayer life. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it. You know, because that's how most of the time start. How many of you have ever been like, this is, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to go to Borders. I'm going to buy a brand new journal, man. I'm going to like. And then by like the second day, you're just like, whatever, dude. I can't do this thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So start there. I am going to actually start this morning on my knees in a posture of humility and dependence that Jesus says is actually the whole key. And coming before God. Because nothing catches daddy's ear than the humble whispers of an obedient child. Jesus says, that's how the conversation begins. You lose out of that, you're going to be out of range. So maybe you want to try doing the Hybels dismount each morning this week, you know? Try it. I know, you're going to be like, Tim was weak. Um, Asking for God's power and strength and surrendering yourself in your day to him. What would that be like for you to do for five days? Would it make a difference? Would you begin seeing things differently? Would God hear you differently? It's, it's interesting, but, but after giving his disciples this, this very simple template, I wish it were more complicated, Jesus moves into this weird little story about a guy who like runs out of bread and has to give his neighbor some, he has to ask his neighbor for more. So in this, this weird parable, this story Jesus tells, he tells it in verses 5 through 10, would have provoked smiles and chuckles in his first century audience. Why? Well, actually, you have to come back next week to find out. (laughs) Because I'm stopping here. 
to break this passage into two weeks because the story Jesus tells next has to do with unanswered prayer. In other words, what happens when you pour out your heart to God? You, you submit your life to him, you tell him what you need, and he actually doesn't answer your request. Because some of you know what that's like. Nothing I've said tonight may be new to you. You know, you're like, look, Tim, this is great. Nice review. I've heard this before. Um, I routinely pray every day. I follow Jesus' template. Like, you know, God, you're great. I want your deal over my deal. And then there's some stuff I need. Amen. But, but what happens when you get no response or heaven is silent? And God actually says, no. Especially in an area we're pretty certain lines up with the will of God. Or, or you ask for something that we assume any loving father would want to do. And this is very personal to me because, see, my earthly father, as some of you know, has cancer. Lymphoma, to be specific. We learned about that about over five years ago. And when we first got that news, anytime you get news like that, a C word, cancer, just knocks you to the ground. Just, what? And we just, like, rallied. We're like, we're not going to let this knock us to the ground. We're going to, here we go. And we mounted this, like, prayer campaign for complete healing. Like, we're, we, Lord, we know you want to touch his body. We know you, we had a lot of words to say. And then we went for his third scan, and that's where the doctor said to us, oh, okay, um, awesome. Prayer helps. I want you to keep thinking positively. Ding. We're like, no, we believe that God's going to do something. He's like, no, no, no. This kind of lymphoma he has is not something you ever cure. It's something you learn to, to, to live with. As, as, as much, it's not something you cure. It's something you contain. So I'm not a religious guy, but if you want to pray, you want to temper your prayers. It's not going to be so much cure, but like remission. And so we began praying for remission. And as my father went through his chemo treatment, he went through periods of growth and stagnancy, finally resulting in this remarkable season of remission where we were thinking God did it. He heard our prayers. He heard the doctor said you couldn't do it totally. But he heard our prayers, and uh, he's going to do a miracle here because my dad's tumor, it's in his abdomen, actually began shrinking. But then... Five months later, it began growing, coming back. Test x-rays actually showed increased growth. And then he went in, and this time we weren't knocked to our knees, we knocked to our back, because they said it's moved into his chest. We're just like, deflated. Like, was this some, some cruel joke? I mean, didn't we, we pray hard enough? Why was God teasing us, like pulling the string back on us? And it's times like that you wonder if actually praying to God makes any lasting difference at all. I mean, I assume, tell me if I'm out of bounds here. I assume it is God's desire that my dad be well. Our God is not the author of sin and disease and sickness. They are the product of a polluted and broken world is what scripture tells us. And God has said in his word, actually in Revelation, it's his intention to make all things new. To wipe every tear from his children's eyes. That's scripture. That's God's word on his answering machine. No, I'm going to make everything new. So when I pray his word, I want my father's health restored, and God doesn't answer. What's the deal? I mean, I'm agreeing with God that I want his kingdom. His kingdom's about health and healing and wholeness on this earth, but he's not answering. He's not getting back to me immediately. Why not? Find out next week. Because Jesus doesn't back down from this harder question. If anything, this is where God's word gets really interesting. Because God himself acknowledges that prayer can be one of the most frustrating practices in life. I mean, you know, you have your own deal, don't you? 
What, what is it that you would want to ask God for above anything else? If you knew, if you walked out here convinced tonight, I have, you had a direct connect. Ding! You went through. You had Abba's ear. On, you're on his lap. Tell me what you need, my daughter, my son. What would you ask for? A spouse? How long have you been praying for one? Some, some of you are single, and you've been praying for a husband or a wife for some time, and you're trying hard to remind yourself that Abba cares and he's going to provide. Your job? A career? Maybe you're, maybe you're caught in a dead-end job. I was talking with someone earlier this month, and they were like, I just want more out of my life. I'm like at a crossroads. I need direction. I need God to reach down and steer me because I don't have any idea what I'm doing. <laughs> What his will is, what, what my calling is. Maybe you just graduate college and you're like, what in the world am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Why won't God answer that prayer? I give you my life. Okay, use it. Hello. <laughs> am I doing something wrong? This is especially vexing when we pray about things that we know are close to God's heart, like salvation. <laughs> Maybe you've been praying for a long time for your mom or dad or grandpa or uncle to actually come to know Jesus. Is there anything that's more in the will of God? <laughs> is there a family member you've been praying for, a son or daughter who's like gone off the deep end? And you, you want the prodigal son ending. You want their safe return. You heard Jesus' story and you're like, I want that. I want it. Give it. What about that? Why doesn't God answer that? I mean, he told the whole story about after all. When that happens, and all we had <laughs> were these first two verses, the simple model of prayer Jesus gives us, We'd be left to assume that something's wrong with me or something's wrong with God. I'm trying this thing out. It's just not kind of working. <laughs> Nothing's happening in response. I'm getting like a busy signal or a dial tone. But Jesus doesn't stop teaching here like I'm about to. <laughs> Rather, he launches into a discussion about what happens when you don't get what you want from Daddy. Between now and next Sunday, we're going to do something interesting. Make this live and not theoretical. We are going to invite you to post your number one prayer request online this week at liquidchurch.com. If you knew you had Abba's ear and could ask for anything, one thing, what would it be? Be specific. Ask particularly. You can post anonymously. You could use your name, whatever. All you do is simply go to liquidchurch.com and type in your request. Let me show you how this works. I got my little Apple laptop up here. You want to put this up on the screen for me? I'm going to... Was there an applause for Apple there? Someone's like, Apple. Wow, okay, cool. Thanks, awesome. <laughs> I'm going to type actually in a request of my own, and here's how you do it. You're simply going to go to whatever the first post is. We'll have tonight's message up there by uh, the morning. But I'm going to go last week's message right here. At the very end of it, you'll notice there's a place where it says comments. You see that? You just click comments. You say, yeah, I got a comment. <laughs> you wait for it to come up. You can type in your name or no name at all or give yourself like, you know, I'm going to just type in Pastor Tim. You could type in, you know, Pirate Betsy, whatever you want to put. <laughs> My email address, Tim at liquidchurch.com. And URL of like your personal, you know, website or something. And, um, and then just put in here exactly what you want. Okay, I'm going to actually put in my prayer. Okay, so here's my prayer. God, I am asking, capital A-G-A-I-N, again, for my dad's healing. I've been praying about this for some time. 
A-L-O-N-G time. And I am grateful for his remission. But I want more. I know you can heal him completely. I ask you to do it. I also ask that you reveal exactly where in the world you want to plant this church. (laughs) Because we're kind of (laughs) scared about that and unsure. Um, Let's see. City, (laughs) warehouse, um, office building. Um, wherever, please reveal that location to us. What else is a big deal? We need (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And then I'm going to post it. I just hit post. And now it's out there. Now it's out there. Now it's official. If it's on the internet, it's like official, right? I mean, come on. I know that's two requests, but I'm, I'm the pastor, so I, I get a bonus ask. <laughs> Seriously, what prayer would you post this week? It could be totally basic and external. Like, I'm asking God to help me find an apartment. <laughs> Daily bread kind of stuff. Or it could be internal and complex. I'm asking God to actually help me forgive my ex. Or just like do something miraculous and restore my marriage. There are no limitations. God wants to know it all. Maybe it's something you've grown tired of asking God about. Even better, post it. Because it will give others in this particular family a chance to pray for you. I know some of you tonight are enjoying clear communication with Abba right now. So here's my request to you. Would you log on this week and pray for some of these requests? You can post a prayer, or you can simply pray for the needs that your brothers and sisters are taking a risk to make known. And maybe, just maybe, imagine this, if you were the answer to someone's prayer. Like, whoa, I have an apartment, actually, for rent. Or an office building for free. (laughs) Right, whatever. (laughs) Next week, I will highlight some of these requests in the message. All right? And we will then see what Jesus has to say about persisting in prayer. And what we can honestly expect. Because the story he tells, it seems like there's no answer. But you won't be amazed at how hopeful and encouraging Jesus is. When he says, oh, yeah, you ever get the feeling like you're just kind of knocking on the door, things are bouncing off? Me too. But here's what the deal is. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're trying to go live tonight. And there are a myriad of lives and requests out here that you already know. Your son told us that you know what we need before we ask. But yet you want us to ask anyway. And um, I guess the reason we're left with for that is... um, that you're like any other dad. You want your children to come to you. 
and to spend time with you so that we can know your heart. So I pray, Lord, uh, through this little exercise even this week, that we would know you better. Um, Lord, that it would be your spirit alone that would help each man or woman tonight go one click further this fall, Father. Maybe you'll give us the, the strength this week to start five days in a row on our knees instead of with Starbucks. We ask that you do it. We ask that you do a mighty thing here, Lord. I do ask for those things. And um, we ask only because your son taught us to pray this way. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us. Thank you that we matter to you. And um, we look forward to growing together in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.